0: You're listening to the Tri-State Community Church Podcast, a ministry of the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church located in the Greater Pittsburgh Metropolitan Area. For more information, including service times, please visit us at facebook.com forward slash Tri-State Reformed Church. I invite you to, turn to uh, return to John 16. We're going to pick up right where we left off last time, which is an awkward spot right in the middle of the verse kind of leaving something unfinished, doesn't it seem like? But we just remember the chapters and verses are not inspired. They were added much, much later. So many of us will have a subheading right in the middle of verse four, which makes it easier. And sometimes you don't even realize verse four is being split in half. But uh, we pick up in the second half of verse four Uh, Again, hearing the words of Jesus speaking to his disciples, he says, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority... But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the words of our Lord and Savior that we come before this morning. Father, we recognize that if we're to profit from this in any way that is that is real, that it will only be because you have blessed us, and we ask for that blessing. Father, we pray that you'd be pleased to teach us from your word this morning, Lord, that what would be uh, espoused would not be the opinions of men, but the truth of God, that Father, you would speak to our hearts, and you would open our hearts to receive, and you would apply your word uh, to our hearts this morning, Father, that in the end we would find ourselves being transformed more and more like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray these things in his precious name. Amen and amen. I would like to introduce this morning's message the same way that we introduced last week's message, and some of you will recall that we reminded ourselves that Uh, Jesus is preparing his disciples for his departure, which necessarily means that uh, Jesus is preparing them for his um, physical absence. And uh, it's easy, as I've said many, many times, it's easy to forget that. Uh, But Jesus says in the second part of verse 4, I did not say these things to you from the beginning, but because I was with you. And last week, as we were looking at persecution, you know, Jesus has been with them and he has been fielding much of this persecution. You know, it's, uh, if you look at all the conflict stories of the, of the gospels, uh, you'll see that generally speaking, uh, the opponents start picking on the disciples and quickly it makes its way to Jesus. You know, kind of like the illustration I used last week was picking on a bear cub. It's never wise to pick on a, bear cub it's never wise to do that because mama bear is close by and of course when you read those conflict stories of course jesus the the conflict always ends up coming to jesus and there's an application right there uh that's just screaming to be applied if you're in christ jesus this morning you are his bear cub and let us always remember that when we're being persecuted that jesus is not far away uh, even though he may be physically absent, we're going to see that that's a great advantage this morning. So I think that comforts us, uh, because we, we do recognize that persecution is, 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 is certainly around the corner for us if it's not here already. So, um, that, um, that is indeed a comforting thought. But Jesus says, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, verse five, but now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you asks me, where are you going? Now, one of the things I like so much about preaching through the book, starting with chapter 1, verse 1, and just preaching through, is you eventually get to a lot of verses that I don't think we would come to otherwise. And we come to a verse right now where many would say, you know, here we have a blatant contradiction. Contradiction here we have a contradiction if you will and you know if you're if you're in the business of talking to people about their faith it's not long it'll be no time before someone says they don't believe the bible because it's full of contradictions generally speaking when you talk to someone who has said that they haven't read the scriptures to see this for themselves They're saying this because they've heard it on TV, or they've seen it on a tonight show, or they've seen it uh, on social media, or they've seen it on the internet someplace, or as a student in university or college, they've had a professor share this with them, but they've not read the scriptures for themselves. But But once in a while, you will come across somebody who has read through the Bible several times and has come to places where they've scratched their head and they've said, you know, this can't be trusted. It's full of contradictions. And this could be one place, because the reader of John's gospel reads verse 5 and says, wait a second. Now, Jesus is saying to his disciples that no one has asked him where he is going, but it seems to me that one of them did ask that question, and I think maybe a couple chapters back. And if you look back to chapter 13 uh, to verse 33, Jesus says, little children... That is to his disciples. There are 11 of them in the room at this point. Yet a little while I'm with you. You will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. And if you skip down to verse 36 there, Peter said, Lord, where are you going? So there we see that Peter did ask Jesus where he is going. So a person can stumble right here. um, And people have stumbled right here. And how? What are we to do with this? Jesus says in chapter sixteen, verse five, no one is asked where he, where he is going. And then we look at uh, John 13, 36, Peter did ask. He asked on that night. Now, what do we do with that? Is that a contradiction? I'm gonna I'm gonna assure you, it is not. It's not something that we need to worry about. We'll say, well, could you explain? Sure. Um, Take a look at chapter 14 and verse 31. I have not made much noise about this. In fact, I'm not sure I made any noise about this in the, in the uh, 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 process of going through. Uh, but let's look at it right now. If you look at the very, at least in the ESV translation, at the very end, notice Jesus says, Rise, let us go from here. Now what's Jesus talking about? Well, uh, everything starts in the upper room, Right? It starts as they're uh, eating the Passover meal together, right? And that's where Jesus washes the feet of the disciples in John 13, and Jesus begins to teach them. Um, Judas, he leaves, and he's on his way to betray Jesus. They're still in the upper room. But we know at one point in this night, Jesus and his disciples do leave the upper room, and they travel to the Garden of Gethsemane. They make this trip. Now, it appears that perhaps right here is at least where that begins. Now, uh, folks are divided as to whether it begins now. Some say that they leave right here in verse 31 of chapter 14 and that the vine and the branches story is told while they're on the way. That's, That's a possibility, but I haven't made a lot of it because it's conjecture. The fact is we don't know. And Jesus could have said, rise, let us go from here, and still continued to teach in the room um, because, listen, if you've ever had to um, deal with groups, uh, if you've ever had to lead groups of people, then you realize, like, for example, if you're planning on a conference next weekend and you're putting the itinerary together and you have to get a group of, say, 11 people from one place to To the next, and that, and that, and it's a 10 minute trip. You better give yourself more than 10 minutes to get there. Why? Because anyone who has done this knows that when you say, okay, come on, everybody, let's get going, does it happen right away? The answer is no. Does it ever happen right away? I've never seen it happen right away. In fact, there's been times where I've been, okay, we got to go, let's go. And there's been times where I've been talking to somebody and someone's had to say a second time, come on, let's go. Or maybe a third time, come on, let's go. Someone has to go to the restroom, someone has to go here, someone has to go there. This is no different. This is real life right here that's taking place. And it's important that we see this is a real conversation that's being taken that's taking place within an, a, a relationship that's very intimate. And it's very possible that Jesus said, rise, come on, let us go from here. And then he continued to talk for a few minutes while everyone was getting ready to go. It's equally possible that Jesus begins teaching, I am the the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser, as they're on the way. Jesus often taught while he was on the way. We don't know. But the point is, there's movement, and um, as they're moving from the upper room, obviously Jesus continues to teach. Uh, We don't know exactly uh, when this happens, but if you back up a little bit and you look to verse 28, Jesus says, You heard me say to you, I'm going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Again, this is a conversation that's being spoken in, within the relationship, within an intimate relationship here. Now, Jesus says to his disciples, if you loved me, you would have rejoiced. Is he suggesting, would anyone say for a, for a nanosecond that he's suggesting that the disciples don't love him? Well, of course they love him. If, if they didn't love him, they'd be indifferent to the fact that he's going away. The fact that they're upset that he's going away is a testimony that they love him. So what is Jesus saying? See, we could pull a contradiction out of there, couldn't we? But what is Jesus saying? Jesus is, Jesus is trying to lead them out of self-absorption is what he is doing. Right now, what are they doing? They're processing his absence all probably strictly through the lenses of how it's going to affect them. I mean, there's another application right there, isn't it? I mean, we just do not know the ends of our self-absorption, do we? I mean, we are so self-absorbed, aren't we? And here we see the disciples. We think, okay, if we could have been in a school with Jesus for three years, we'd break this self-absorption. Well, here we see it alive and well. What Jesus is doing is he's trying to pry them out of that so that they'll ask questions. As William Hendrickson said, this would be a good time to start asking questions. Tell us, Lord. Tell us about the blessings. What do you mean? If we loved you, we would rejoice. What kind of blessings blessings are you going to be receiving? What's it going to be like for you? Tell us more about what's going to happen. Yet they ask nothing of the kind. They ask nothing of the kind, do they? So when uh, we come to chapter 16 and verse 5, and Jesus says, none of you asks me where I'm going what's he talking about he's talking about the fact that they're still processing all of this through the lenses of self absorption they're simply looking through this through the lenses of how it's going to affect them listen we would be doing the same thing imagine if we've had Jesus with us for three years and now all of a sudden he's telling us he's gonna go we would be exactly in the same place and what Jesus is doing he's saying listen Ask me some questions about where I'm going. Ask me some questions about what's going to happen. Ask me some questions of why this is going to be necessary. And actually, the text that follows, actually, the text that follows is an answer to the questions that aren't even being asked. Does that make sense? Why would I say that? Context, 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 right? Look at the context of verse 5. In verse 5, Jesus says, I'm going to him who sent me. None of you asks me where are you going. But in verse 6, he says, but because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your hearts. See, he's pointing to the very fact that right now they're traumatized over the fact that he's going to be leaving, and they're traumatized because how this is going. To, they're, they're looking at this through the lenses of how this is going to affect them. And Jesus wants them to look outside of that to the, so that they can see what's really going on here. Because in verse 7, he says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage. You see, if they can quit looking, if they if they can if they can look outside of themselves for a moment, they can see the, the necessity of Jesus departing. They can see that it is to their great advantage that Jesus does this. They'll be able to see that. And that's what Jesus is trying to do. And he says, It is to your advantage that I go away. Now, what kind of advantage must this be? Let's think about this for a moment. The commentaries bring this out. You know, if we had Jesus right here with us, I mean, get rid of me quickly. Put Jesus here. I'll be happy to sit down with everyone else. We got Jesus here. And Jesus this morning says, listen, I'm going to leave. Now, I don't think we could conceive I don't think we would be with the disciples. I don't think how we, how could we conceive that this is anything but a bad thing? But Jesus is saying, no, it's an advantage. Oh boy, could you explain that? Well, it's, it's gonna, it's gonna be great. In fact, the advantage that you're going to receive is going to be so great that me leaving me leaving you is actually going to be a benefit to you does that make sense it's hard to put into words let me try it another way let me circle around and try this again this advantage is so great that jesus physical absence being away from them okay is going to be a benefit let me explain let me continue to explain this he says, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now, we know the story. We know what happens, don't we? We know that Jesus is going to go to the cross. We know he's going to die. We know that he's going to be buried. We know that on the third day he's going to rise. We know on 40 days after that he's going to send to God, the Father Almighty, and there he's going to be reigning supreme with unlimited authority. We know that. And shortly after that, the Holy Spirit is going to come down upon the disciples and the church is going to enter into what we call the New Covenant Administration. It's a covenant that's promised by the Old Testament prophets, and that's why I chose Isaiah 44, 1 to 5 this morning, because that's one of the places where the prophets speak of a time when, the, when, the people, when God will send his Holy Spirit down, and he will flood his people with an outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the likes that have never been seen by the people of God. Now, this cannot happen. This cannot happen until Jesus departs. Why? Why, not? why? why couldn't Jesus just say, Lord, pour it down now? Pour it down now while I can be with everybody and see it. And, and you know, I, I've thought about this, and it hit me maybe Wednesday or Thursday morning as I was thinking about this. And, and what I'm saying right now is purely conjecture on my part. So take it or leave it. You can, you can take this or leave it. But I think, please, take this or leave it. It's purely conjecture. I've only been thinking about it for a couple of days, and two weeks from now I might think, well, that's rubbish, uh, so take it or leave it, but I think that if the Holy Spirit would have descended now, that in Christendom there would be two factions. One faction would be the Holy Spirit as the Savior, and the other faction was no Jesus would be the Savior. I think we would we would have we would have the church divided over something else, you know. But that's all conjecture on my part, and it's it's hypothetical because really Jesus cannot Uh, Jesus has to leave because this new covenant has to be ratified. And this outpouring of the Holy Spirit is part of that new covenant. And how is the new covenant ratified? You hear me say it er, the first of every month when we have communion. What do I say? That Jesus ratifies the new covenant with his what? Anybody. With his blood, right? Right. So this covenant is ratified with the very death of Jesus. So the covenant has to be ratified. And then the Holy Spirit comes. There's many other things we could could add to this. But what I want us to see with the rest of our time this morning is that when He comes, if you look at verse 8, when He comes, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Now, what we need to see here is that when the Holy Spirit comes... He is not starting from scratch. But what the Holy Spirit does when he comes is he takes what Jesus has begun and he begins to flesh it out. Let me give you an illustration that I think will be uh, really easy for us to see because we've experienced it. Let's suppose a person goes out and plants a church, and 10 or 15 years later, the church grows to the point that it can be organized. Does that sound familiar? Do we know anything about that? Okay, now let's suppose in this particular scenario the church planner feels that the Lord is calling him to go plant another church. That happens quite often. There are people who just plant churches. Uh, once the churches are up and running, they move on to the, that's that's just how God has called them, that's how God has gifted them, and that's what they do. So in this particular case, the church planner doesn't remain as pastor. But he moves on, and he plants another church. So the organized church extends a call to someone else, and another man comes in. Now, this man who comes in, if he comes in and decides he's going to start from scratch with that church, what's going to happen? He's going to scatter it. I mean, that happens a lot. You know, if you were going to follow a church planner and you were gonna go into a, a, a young congregation, you'd better take the first year or two to spend all your time just trying to learn the heartbeat of that group of people. You better learn their heartbeat. You better learn what, you better learn their value set. You better, you better learn, you better just spend a year or two with them, just getting to know them, just getting to find the rhythm of the congregation, trying to learn as much as you can about the fingerprint of that organization, of that church, before you try to change anything. Cause if you don't, you're going to scatter it. And I think that's a good illustration here. At least it gets us started. We can't press it too far. But what's important for us to see is the Holy Spirit doesn't go solo. He's not on a solo project. What is the Holy Spirit coming and doing? He is coming and he is laboring, and he is going to continue to do the work that Jesus is doing. In fact, they're always working together. And I'm taking a lot of time to explain this because what I want you to see is the advantage here. What is the advantage here? The advantage here is that the Holy Spirit is going to flesh out further what Jesus is doing, and the benefit of this is Jesus can only be in one place at one time. But the Holy Spirit is able to be with us whether we're here in Chester together or if one of us would get on a plane and fly to Hawaii and next Sunday be in Hawaii instead of here, guess what? Jesus can be present with you in Hawaii and still be present with the rest of us here in Chester. And we can see the great advantage. And what, is, and what is the Holy Spirit doing? He, By virtue of the Holy Spirit being with us, Jesus is with us too. Remember all of the language of Jesus. Jesus says to his disciples, he says, Listen, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Right? All the solidarity that Jesus has talked about between Him and the Father. Jesus is not the Father, but He's so closely entwined with the work of the Father that we could look at what Jesus is doing and say, this is what the Father is doing too. And notice Jesus uses that same language. He says in verse 12, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, verse 13, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority. That sounds like what Jesus has been doing through this whole gospel, doesn't it? He will not speak on his authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you, and all that the Father has is mine. Therefore, as I said, he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Jesus has taken what is the Father's and declared it, and the Holy Spirit comes and takes what is Jesus and declares it. And what belongs to Jesus belongs to the Father. You see that? It's amazing, isn't it? amazing. And if you look at verse 8, 9, 10, 11, they're all connected. Jesus says when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And verses 9, 10, and 11 flesh that statement out. Verse 9, concerning sin. Verse 10, concerning righteousness. Verse 11, concerning judgment. You see the outline there? And what is Jesus saying? Well, verse 9, Okay, the Holy Spirit's going to come. He's going to convict the world concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Now, what is Jesus talking about there? Uh, what, what does he mean there? Well, last week when we were talking about persecution, Jesus says to his disciples, listen, if you, 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 know, you get doing this thing and you, and you discover that the world hates you, you need to remember that it first hated me before it hated you. He's preparing for he's preparing them for the rage that they're going to meet as they share the gospel and we went back and looked at John chapter 7 and verse 7 for Jesus explanation of that why does the world hate Jesus Jesus tells us in chapter 7 verse 7 when he's speaking to his unbelieving brothers he says to them the world cannot hate you but it hates me because I testify about it that its works, are evil and you remember last week we were talking about that and I and I shared with you that listen in some circles all you have to do is show up and you're going to experience this I mean you can just walk up to a group of people that are talking and as soon as you step in they're all shut up have you ever experienced that they all stop and they all just look at you and it's not that they necessarily dislike you but they're not comfortable with continuing on the conversation they're having now that you're here. And you haven't said a word. And you really truly are just stepping up because you want to join in on the conversation. there that? Of course you've had that experience. Why is that? It's the presence of the Lord. It's the presence of the Lord. The Lord is present in all of us. Before we say anything, there's a certain amount of His light that's going to be reflected from us it's going to be greater at times, it's going to be lesser at times, but it's always going to be there. And just by showing up in the conversation, you're testifying that something's wrong with the conversation, and they hush it up. And what they would prefer is for you to go back to where you come from so we can continue our thing. Has anybody ever experienced that? Hmm. And it's because of that you really you find yourself, you're really on the outside, aren't you? It can sometimes be a lonely pattern. It can sometimes be really lonely depending on where you are. Um, But suddenly when you meet another believer, well, that goes away, doesn't it? Because suddenly you see you have this fellowship and you can speak on the most intimate levels. You can speak on a level that you can't speak at in this other circle. That's why it's so important for us to marry in the Lord. I mean, think about this. If you don't marry in the Lord, you're actually going to be partnering for life with somebody that you can't have this intimacy with. Think about that. It's an awful situation. Um, But concerning sin... The Holy Spirit is going to pick up right where Jesus left off. Jesus, before he said a word, just walking around, is going to be convicting the world concerning sin, just by virtue of his presence. But Jesus did more than just speak. He performed miracles. He performed these mighty works. He preached these amazing sermons. Uh, And he spoke to the evil of the day, didn't he? Concerning sin. And the Holy Spirit is not going to come in as a solo act and start all over again. The Holy Spirit is going to pick this right back up where Jesus, He's going, it's not that the Holy Spirit hasn't been involved all the way up till now. He has. He's always involved. But the Holy Spirit is going to come. And what's going to happen is, chapter 15, verses 26 and 27, when the Helper comes, whom Jesus will send from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he is going to bear witness about Jesus. How is he going to do this? Verse 27, you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. So the Holy Spirit is going to bear witness as the apostles bear witness, and they're going to be doing this together. What are they going to be bearing witness to? They're going to be bearing witness to Jesus. Now, someone might say, well, that's great for the first century, but the apostles have all died. Yes, they've all died, but the apostles are still bearing witness now. We' will say, what? Would you like to explain that? Sure, I'd be happy to explain that. What book are we reading right now? What's the name of it? Anybody. It's the gospel according to who? Now, who was John. He was an apostle, and he's bearing witness to us in Chester. And what is our prayer? What what, what do we pray every Sunday? Lord, bless us. Lord, teach us from your word. We we, we admit that if we're going to profit from this word, you're going to have to teach us. You're going to have to teach us, Lord. Well, who, who principally is going to be doing the teaching? The Holy Spirit. Ah, verse 15, 26, Holy Spirit bears witness. Verse 27, the apostles bear witness. You see what we've got forming here is a doctrine of Scripture. You see that? Did the light bulb just go off? This is a doctrine of Scripture that's being actually advocated here. Uh, say, well, Scripture's never in there. No, 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 but Scripture's never in there. But this is exactly what's happening. The Holy Spirit's going to bear witness as the apostles bear witness. And as the apostles bear witness, they're going to write this witness down, and this witness is going to continue. And the Holy Spirit's going to continue to work with the witness that is written down. And here we are in Chester, and what are we doing? We're studying the witness of the apostle John. And the Holy Spirit is bearing witness to our hearts, and he's convicting the world of sin because they don't believe in, they don't believe. Now, this happens. This don't just have to happen here in the morning. This can happen tomorrow when you're at the water cooler. And I love your text, by the way, when you text me, hey, at the water cooler today, blah, 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 blah. I love that. It's great. Every once in a while I get a text from one of you, hey, 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 Pastor Rick at the water cooler, blah, blah. It's pretty cool. Um, Well, guess what? As you're sharing Scripture, at the water cooler if you're sharing John's gospel John is testifying and the holy spirit's testifying and these truths are 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 happening is that wonderful I can see many smiles because this is warming your heart isn't it you see the advantage the lord has been pleased to bring all of us in on this work he doesn't need us to do this in fact a lot of times we're just in the way but he still just wants to bring us in all of this work so that we can be part of building this magnificent kingdom amen I'm, we need to be moving here. Concerning righteousness, verse 10. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you'll see me no longer. What is Jesus talking about there? Well, uh, kind of quickly, if you look at uh, Mar- uh, Matthew chapter 5, keep your place in John 16, and go to Matthew chapter 5. This verse falls short on our ears, but if we would have been listening to Jesus. As the original audience, this would have been an astonishing statement. Jesus says to his audience, I t- For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This would have been a jaw dropping statement because we would have viewed the Pharisees, the scribes and the Pharisees, as the most righteous people. On the planet. Let's think of Saul of Tarsus before he becomes the Apostle Paul. He was the Pharisee of Pharisees. Very meticulous. Probably tradition says he or he memorized the entire Old Testament. As anyway, I mean, we think we memorize a psalm or a few verses of a psalm. We think, hey man, try to memorize Genesis. And you gotta get the genealogies too. Imagine memorizing numbers or or chronicles. You know, there were people that, they, they they memorized this. They they were so meticulous. You know, those Pharisees, i seen them down at, um, you know, i seen them over at EJ's, and they were tithing their salad dressing. You know? Um, what do you mean, Jesus, If unless our righteousness exceeds that, we're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. And what is Jesus talking about? Well, let's think about the scribes and the Pharisees, and let's go back to John again. And let's go back to John 15, where we were at last week, and... Jesus says there, um, verse 22, If I had not come and spoke to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my Father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my Father. Who has hated him? The scribes and the Pharisees. The characters over our coaches that are tithing 10% of their salad dressing. Yeah, those characters, they're trying to kill Jesus because they hate Jesus. And Jesus says, listen, if you hate me, you also hate the Father. Now, I would, I would say this is probably humanity's best step forward of trying to achieve personal righteousness, and what is the result? It's, it's, it can be summarized with Isaiah's words. As Isaiah uh, indicted the people of his day, he said, your righteousness is like filthy rags. We have no righteousness. We don't. There isn't a one of us who have tried to follow the law the way the Pharisees have tried to follow the law, and the Pharisees at the end of the day hated Jesus for the most part. Some of them, by God's grace, like Nicodemus, did come to faith. Thank God for that. But it was only after they aborted their, uh, their attempt of trying to make their own right or earn their own righteousness, wasn't it? It's only after they saw that this was all rubbish and just filthy rags. So Jesus says, listen, back to John 16, verse 10, concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father. Okay, how does Jesus get to the Father? He goes to the Father by virtue, by way of the cross. He goes to the Father through death. If Jesus wasn't perfectly righteous, he'd still be in the grave, wouldn't he? Fact is, he's not in the grave. That's why we're here this morning, because that grave, that tomb was empty. Jesus has risen. This is a celebration of the risen. We don't just do this on Easter. We do this every Sunday, don't we? Hopefully we do this every day. You know, I was talking with, with uh, Kylie and Anna yesterday. We were on a, uh, driving down the road and I said to them, I think I said something like, you know, uh, today's a happy day. It was a wonderful day because of things that were going on. It's a happy day. And I said, even if things weren't going right today, it would still be a happy day. Why? Because Jesus is risen. And the fact that he is risen means that his righteousness was accepted. His righteousness is perfect. That means his testimony is perfect. And that means there's a righteousness that is available to us by putting our faith and our trust in him, right? The righteousness that we need to be able to be with Christ, the righteousness that we need to be able to go to heaven, the righteousness that we must have or we're not going to be in heaven is available to us. And how do we get it? By putting our faith and our trust in Jesus. That's how we get it. And that righteousness, we get clothed in that righteousness. Now God can look at us and he can see His the perfection of his son in us. Oh, it's really to our advantage that Jesus goes because it's the Holy Spirit who applies all this to us. And if Jesus doesn't go, the Holy Spirit is not going to come. You see the great advantage here? Verse 11, concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Now, what is that all about? Uh, Related to verse 10, take a look at John chapter 8. And I'll close with this. If you look back to John chapter 8 and verse 39, and here we have a conflict story. And the conflict is between uh, the Pharisees and Jesus. And the Pharisees say in verse 39 that Abraham is their father. And Jesus says to them, if you were Abraham's children, you'd be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works of your father, the works your father did. They said to him, we're not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you'd love me. For I came from God and I'm here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It's because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil. Now you want to talk about that? It had to get tense when Jesus said that. Man, you are of your father, the devil. And what we see from this text, we see many things from this text, but what we see is that the father of lies is Satan himself. The father of deception is Satan himself. The father of those deceptive arguments for abortion is Satan himself. And what uh, we need to see here is when we go back to John 16 and verse 11, Jesus says concerning judgment because the ruler of this world Is judged. What Jesus is saying is the ruler or the king of this world is being condemned. And when the king falls, what happens to the rest of the kingdom? It falls too. So people that are advocating all these satanic ideals and ideas and devices are doing so from a kingdom that is disintegrating. It's a kingdom that's not going to last. How long will it last? I don't know. None of us knows. But in the grand scheme of things, it's not going to last much longer. Well, so it goes on for another thousand years. What is that next to eternity? The sad part is they're crying out from a kingdom that is destroyed. It's destroying itself. It destroys everything it touches. Don't take my word for it, just look. Look at the track record. Look Look at everything that this kingdom touches and name one thing that it builds. It doesn't build anything. Everything that it touches, it destroys. Think about how mad and frustrating that would make you, that everything you touch turns to nothing. That's all it can do because Jesus says in verse 11, the ruler of this world is judged. If the very king of this world can't be successful, how is the rest of the kingdom going to have any success? Does that make sense? Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this amazing truth that we have, Father. We thank you, Lord, and there's so much more that Lord, we could, we could share, we could go on for another hour, Lord, and not even begin, not even begin to um, empty the nuggets and the truth from this great basket. Oh, Father, we thank you that you have sent us a Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and his departure, we see, is a great advantage to the church. His departure was a great advantage to the Apostles. And look at this. Here we are removed by 6,000 miles and 2,000 years nearly. And here we are being ministered to by the writing of one of these apostles this morning. Oh, Father, what, what, what great bedrock we stand on. What great bedrock we stand on. For the bedrock we stand on is you. And, oh, Lord, how great it is to be called out of the kingdom of darkness, which is disintegrating into nothing. For the ruler of that kingdom is judged. And if the ruler of that kingdom cannot be successful, neither will anyone else in that kingdom. O oh Lord, we pray that you will call people out of that kingdom and call them into yours, O oh Lord. Call them into, into the kingdom that you've called us into, O oh Lord. Show your omnipotence, we, we pray. Show your mighty power and your mercy to them by calling them in, Father. And, O Lord, may we may we offer thanksgiving to you afresh, Lord, that you have called us into this kingdom, for it is a winning kingdom, and we stand on the solid rock of Christ Jesus. And we thank you, O Lord, for this great advantage of which we have been studying this morning. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.